Hello, everyone. This is Hannah Kaffina speaking, and I uh, hope you're doing well, considering everything that's been going on. Um, before we start this episode, I just want to preface it by addressing the elephant in the room, which is the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday. And um, I actually found out about her passing probably around 20 minutes after I wrapped up the recording of this episode with my friends Raf and Michael. At first, I heard about it through um, the news widgets on Twitter, and then uh, my friend Michael texted me about it, and then that's when the news really started to flood in. And when I first found out about her passing, I was shocked. As a lot of people know, she's fought cancer for many, many years, and she's been hospitalized a lot, you know, throughout her old age, but she always bounced back, and so I just expected her to still be around. I mean, she's as strong as an ox, you know? So when she passed away, I was very, very shocked and upset as most people were, you know? And um, I have a bunch of thoughts about what's been going on right now that I'd like to share with all of you. For starters, I think it's extremely important that we honor her legacy as a pioneer and a consistent champion of women's rights even before she was a supreme court justice i mean from her work with the aclu to a lot of the obstacles that she encountered along her own journey in succeeding in law as a woman during a time in which law was a male-dominated field so she's always been uh, a true pioneer and champion for women's rights and I think it's important to acknowledge that and I think it's actually a shame that we can't really take the time to honor her legacy without thinking about the vacant Supreme Court seat you know and that's not something that we should have to worry about but that with the Trump administration and all it's unfortunately something that we also have to worry about it's very clear that Trump wants to fill the seat as soon as possible before the election, and Republicans are willing to support him on that. And first of all, it's a, extremely hypocritical, considering that both Senator Lindsey Graham and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell both said that a vacancy should not be filled until the next election cycle or the next president is in office. So not only highlights the hypocrisy of the Republican Party right now, which we already inherently knew anyway, but also an immense lack of respect for RBJ herself. RBJ's dying wish, she told her granddaughter that she said, my fervent wish is that my seat not be filled until a new president is elected, right? Bipartisanship aside, the fact that our president of the United States is so power hungry that he is not willing to honor a dying woman's wish is abhorrent and disgusting and shameful. But then again, it's Trump. So why are we even surprised? Um, so all my thoughts aside, I want to dedicate this episode to RBJ and all the incredible work that she's done. And um, may she rest in peace. And um, yeah, without further ado, let's get started.
Hello, 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 everyone. This is Hannah Cavanagh speaking, and welcome to yet another wonderful episode of T43. I am here with two awesome friends of mine, and it's their T43 debut, so let's give them a warm welcome, shall we? So our first guest... Hey! Hey! <laughs> so our first guest is a sophomore, um, econ major, res life commissioner with Hunter USG. What's up? What's um, up, everybody? And pretty much the godfather of Brookdale. I would love to give a warm <laughs> welcome to Rafael Garcia. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? You guys are doing great? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Hanging yeah. in there. Yeah. Pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty solid. Um, wow, that, that was some that was some uh, intro right there. I really hey, liked it. Hey, thank that. you. Yeah, she did. <laughs> okay, so now mm. the next guest that I'm going to be introducing, also a sophomore, um, a media major such as myself with a concentration in journalism. Hey, that's what? what's up. One of the most organized people I know, TikTok dancing oh, aficionado. Oh, I would love to give TikTok a warm. <laughs> I'd love to give a warm welcome to Michael Tam. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you, Hannah? Pretty good. I'm super duper excited for this. I've been wanting to I've been wanting to have you guys on the show forever for one thing. And also I've, you know, this topic that I'm going to be introducing later, so stick around. Um at this talk I'm also a bit excited to talk about this topic as well because it's something that I've been wanting to address for a while. Um but before we spill the deets on that, are you guys ready to maybe or maybe not sip some tea? Yes. All right, <laughs> sounds good. I don't um, actually have tea in my vicinity. It's okay. Um, don't worry about it. But like, I'm going to sip the nearest uh, drink closest <laughs> to me, if that's all right. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, Michael, do you have some tea? Yes. So yes. actually, okay. for my debut, I brought in a very exotic tea. Oh, I'm excited. So it's a type of Chinese tea, and I had actually a pick of it, which you guys, you know, listening at home can't see, but... It is called lemon ginger honey crystal tea. That sounds so good. Wow, yeah, nice. that's pretty good. Um, and I'm just gonna read the back. There's really nothing to it besides this like proverb, mm -hmm. but basically it says, "Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones." Oh, love that. That sounds amazing. I'm excited. That sounds like a you kind of tea, Michael. It does for sound sure. It does. <laughs> for sure. It, it sounds like a tea that you know just to de-stress and everything right for sure i'll take like oh, 10 gallons of that please um <laughs> i'll send you one i'll be sure to send you one hannah really oh that's so yes, sweet okay. thank you michael nice all right and then we can try it another time um yes. for sure but so raf what mm -hmm. beverage do you have with you today and since uh, you don't and would you mind reading a description and if not do you want to make up a description sure for it thing. okay sure thing all right so right here i have some clandestine brookdale water actually with me it's water taken straight from the first floor brookdale fountain fresh from the and springs. it's it's poured in right here in this wonderful costco nalgene bottle so yeah <laughs> iconic I what? love how even the beverage is like repping Brookdale right now. <laughs> nice plug. Um, all right. So I actually, I have a Trader Joe's organic ginger turmeric herbal tea, which looks super dope. I'm excited. Um, and I'm going to read the description. So usually I do like a sensual ASMR kind of voice whenever I read the description. So here goes nothing. Trader Joe's organic ginger turmeric herbal tea is a balanced blend of invigorating ginger 
and fragrant turmeric. Both are members of the ginger family, and both have been enjoyed for centuries in the cuisines of South and Southeast Asia. This tisane is naturally caffeine-free, making it easy to enjoy any time of the day. All right. So ready to try this bad boy or these bad boys, I should say. Yes. All right. <laughs> so I've been making it a thing to kind of take a collective sip. So I was thinking we could take a collective sip together. Is that okay? Are your teas or beverages hot right now? Because mine is like scorching hot. Oh, no. All right. Um, I oh mine, <laughs> Mine's pretty good. Yeah, mine's pretty hot. But I don't think I need to blow on it. Like it's like the right temperature. All right. Okay. Okay. Ready? I'm just going to blow on it for like a few seconds. All right. <laughs> okay. okay. One, I'm, I'm two, three. All right, so how would you, now that you've had like a wee sip of the tea, right? Or the Brookdale water, how would, on a scale from one to 10, how would you rate your tea or your Brookdale water and why? Raph, you want to go first? <laughs> uh, all right, sure. Uh, I would probably rate it about a six because wow. it's just room temperature water right now. And two, it's taken from Brookdale. So Brookdale water is probably sometimes not the cleanest. Right. Well, at least it's yeah, above average. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, at least it's like above a four or a five. Yeah, so we right. got that there. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Michael? I would give my tea an eight out of ten. Hey. Um, like I said before, it's really like soothing to the soul. It's kind of like one of those teas that you drink on a cold day. And, you know, New York weather, it's sporadic, right? We're getting cold nowadays. Yeah. So a fact. Yeah. Some hot tea, right? The only reason why I didn't give it a 10 is because it's a little bit too sweet for my preference, right. but I only used half of the packet, so we're good. Wow, nice. Okay, 8 out of 10. I love it. Um, I've been, so I've been giving a lot of 8 out of 10s on this show, um, and I'm going to give another 8 out of 10 um, wow. for this. <laughs> I know, so inventive, right? For this ginger turmeric <laughs> tea, because here's the thing. I'm actually not the biggest fan of ginger turmeric tea we got the reason why i got this is because my mom really loves ginger and we were in trader joe's and she was like why not get it so that's why we got it but now that i'm drinking it i actually really love it because the so the ginger is more subtler than i thought and the turmeric isn't like punching my taste buds you know it gets subtle enough that i'm like okay i can handle this so i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten all right so now that we sipped the tea we are going to be spilling the deets on the li most lighthearted topic in the world, politics. Yay. Absolutely. So we're going <laughs> <laughs> so to be talking about, you know, what, how, where we thought the 2020 election was going to go. Um, I would say maybe a year ago, we're first saying that they were going to run for president, right? Like Buttigieg and, and Bernie Sanders and that sort of thing. Where were you guys at in terms of all of this? Who were you initially rooting for and why? Well, for me, it's interesting because last year I became a newly el eligible voter, right? Hey! Um, but, you know, I couldn't have imagined how, you know, the end of last year and the beginning of this year would play out, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of like a dark turn that 2020 took. Um, yeah. But I thought that, mm -hmm. you know, when candidates started announcing their campaigns for the presidency, especially for the Democratic side, I thought we saw a lot of diverse candidates in the field. Mm -hmm. We got Buttigieg. We got Kamala Harris, um, and we got some dark horses too. Um, so it, it's interesting because I think at the beginning of 
you know, the primaries at the beginning of this year, we saw a lot of shocking wins, right? Buttigieg won a primary, um, I think maybe- Supposedly. Supposedly, right? (laughs) Supposedly. Uh, Supposedly, but then, you know- Some false numbers in Iowa out there. (laughs) Well, supposedly, right? right? But, um, you know, I think as the primary votes started rolling in, Biden was clearly the favorite. Um, Sanders had, you know, this last bid for the- Democratic ticket, right? But honestly, I think at this point, there are things that I am truly upset with in mm-hmm. you know our political arena that we have here in the US. And it's truly frustrating to see that the two people that we have to decide to vote between, um, in my opinion, you know, they both have flaws to, to their characters. They both got things that people can hold them accountable for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what I just gotta say is, we got to pick the lesser of two evils this coming November. For sure. Yeah. And what about you, Raph? Like, are you on the same page with Michael on this one? Well, I mean, all right. So this time last year, we had 20 candidates running for the Democratic nominee, right? Everybody from Tulsi Gabbard to Beto O'Rourke to Andrew Yang. Oh, my God. That, <laughs> uh, wacky billionaire. I forgot his name. Tom Steyer. Tom yeah. Steyer. There we go. I loved how, like, SNL made fun of Tom Steyer, too, of, like, this billionaire who just wanted to get out of the house and just, like, <laughs> screw around. So, yeah, let's run for president. You know, it's fun. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. And we had Mike Bloomberg towards the end of the primary debates, too. That was ridiculous. I think, um, the CEO of Starbucks was about to announce his. Case. Yes, he oh, was. Oh, you're right. As an he independent. Was. That's right. I yeah. About that. That's also kind of just. So, yeah, 2020, everyone was like, everyone wanted to take their piece out of Donald Trump, right? That was kind of, like, the attitude here. And everyone was like presenting their case of like why they can beat Donald Trump over everybody else, which honestly was just a laughing stock. I could just like stare into the eyes of Beto O'Rourke or Tom Steyer and just be like, I love this part about you, but you're also hilarious because you're trying to speak Spanish in a really shitty accent. Oh, yeah. So that was weird. (laughs) That was like, that was Beto O'Rourke. He would go for like two minutes trying to speak some Spanish. And I'm just like, yo, my Telemundo buddy's right here. Let's go. Uh, yeah, that was that was the beginning, right? And then later on, I I still firmly believe that Bernie should have won South Carolina and the remainder of the Democratic states. Mm-hmm. But I think it was really like uh, you know Jim Clyburn, Democratic House Minority Whip, uh, other factors. I think some heads of Democratic Party really wanted Joe Biden to be the front running horse. Uh, especially since he was the party favorite, you know that's always how it goes, right? Yeah. We're given the illusion that we're given the uh, opportunity and the option to vote, but are we really going to have that? especially in uh, this election year, I don't really know. You know, I feel like we are not really poised properly to have a good and honest election, either now especially because of, uh, you know, what's happening with the post office and also with COVID-19, but also in the past too. Like, do we ever really have honest, quote-unquote, elections? Do we really understand how the process works or really know what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. And I, 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 um, I think that anxiety is really carrying over into this year, and it makes me think that, the decision isn't really going to be decided on November 3rd itself. It's going to take even longer. We're going to uh, go into a session where votes are still going to be counted. They're going to be recounts in multiple states. Florida and Wisconsin are going to decide the election at some point. And honestly, it's going to be a, a big mess. So like, it. so pretty much like a repeat of, of, of the whole like Bush Gore thing, right? Like pretty much. Sure. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be worse than Bush Gore. Well, no, for yeah. Sure. <laughs> for sure. No, yeah. Unfor- yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, worse. Um, but I initially I was a huge Bernie stan. Um, I went to mm. his campaign. I went to his campaign. Bernie should have won South Carolina. He should have. I know. He should have. Oh, it, 
I, yeah. it's just it, it's crazy that we ended up here um i never really We're thought insane. i kind of slept on joe biden i never really thought that he would be our official democratic nominee and now that he is oh like, my gosh. like you yeah. said michael i do find myself picking the lesser of two evils to to be honest with you but i um i guess another question that i have for you guys is what do you think just to kind of you know, for in your opinion, what do you, do you what do you think is really at stake here with this election? Because for me, it seems like a landmark and a lot's on the line. But I, I want to hear from you guys. Like, what do you think? Uh, I think for me personally, it's the integrity of the American people. I think it's the fact that we uh, as a nation, as a culture, as our standing on the world stage kind of hinges on this election. And it would pinpoint our trajectory both for ourselves and for everybody else on where we're going to go and how we're going to orient ourselves towards the future, right? Mm -hmm. If we decide that we're going to elect Donald Trump again, then we're going to set ourselves poised to electing somebody who doesn't believe in science, somebody who lies to the American people on, if not a daily, an almost minute-by-minute basis, Mm -hmm. somebody who likes to instill fear, who likes to instill craziness, who likes to instill all kinds of things which make our society so uh, so disorganized, so disjointed. And mm-hmm. just the fact that he is unwilling to work with other people, other members of the world stage, he pulls out of the WHO, he pulls out of the Paris Climate Accords, he uh-huh. refuses to really face the issues and put them on the table. I think that fact right there should be a very big disqualifying factor for him. And the very fact that it's not is very... Uh, telling of the state of our nation currently. So if we choose to do that again in the next four years, I think that's going to bode very badly for us. In terms of voting for Joe Biden, however, I I agree it should be the lesser of two evils, so we should pick Joe Biden. But also with that, Joe Biden, I do not personally think should have been the Democratic nominee, like now or never. He's a very flawed man. He has eight sexual assault allegations against him. He has... uh, He's one, of, in my opinion, one of the most racist Democrats. Period. Yeah, he supported he, bus segregation, right, in the seventies. Yeah, he did. He did when he was elected to the Senate in nineteen seventy-three. Literally eight months later, he supported busing. I mean, he went against busing legislation because a bunch of uh, white families in his Wilmington suburb were complaining to him that they didn't want their white children being sent to schools with black kids. Yikes. I really think that that that's just someone like that in our office who is a Democrat, who is leading the Democratic tent, which includes Bernie supporters, people who support AOC, very much progressives. I don't mm-hmm. think someone like that should be a, in office, you know, especially as a Democrat. Agreed. Yeah, what do yeah. you think, Michael? I couldn't say it better than Raph himself. I think he touched on a lot of points that I was going to touch on. I think politics is a very touchy subject for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes politics is full of hypocrites. Um, We have one in in the White House right now. Um, Mm -hmm. We also have, you know, people who are running for the presidency, such as Joe Biden. Um, I find the Democratic ticket for 2020 very interesting because I think it provides us with an ironic moment in history, right? Because I think a lot of the people, when um, Biden, you know, announced that Harris was going to be the vice presidential candidate, they were like, thinking back to that debate, Kamala Harris pointed out that she was part of that whole, you know, integration movement, right? Mm-hmm. To bring yeah, back- that second class. Yeah, that was integrated. Yeah. Yeah. And Harris flamed Biden during that debate. And, you know, a few months later, 
Harris is now running with Biden for the presidency. It's shocking, honestly. I, I find her to be a hypocrite and, frankly, more conservative than Joe Biden himself. Uh, the very fact that they are using her as, like, the token person of color on the ticket, I think, is very hypocritical in the Democratic, like, end and also just panders to uh, this, uh, like, need for uh, a diverse ticket, this need for, like, a diverse future and trying to, like, just paint all over that, right? Oh, yeah, Kamala Harris, she's half Asian, and she's also half Black, and she's an HBCU grad. Wow, amazing, right? And yes, and surface level, that looks incredible. That, like, paints, like, the resume of the Democratic ticket so nicely. But it's also just, like, it's all window washing. It's all just, like, mm-hmm. pandering to the biases of the, of the liberal left, saying, look at this, we have a Black woman who could potentially be your president. You should vote for her. Oh, but guess what? She also put a bunch of minorities and African-Americans and Latinos in jail yeah. while she was prosecutor. Like, yes. yeah, sure, she, she's black, but, you know, she she also just puts black people in jail on the regular. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I... The... Oh, sorry, what were we going to say, Michael? Oh, no, no, I just wanted to say, but that's the irony of it, right? Mm-hmm. We have all of these barriers that we are oh, trying yeah. to, you know, take down, right? We haven't had a woman president. We hadn't had... You know, up until Barack Obama got into the White House, right, there was no person of color who held the highest seat in public office, right? We were trying to shatter a bunch of these barriers, or as Hillary Clinton called it, the glass ceiling. Um, And I think it's because of that, it's because all of these barriers are still up, Mm -hmm. is that we're pushing so hard to crack them or to take them down. No, for sure. You guys both made really amazing points. Um, I was going to say, just to to touch on the debates, which both of you have mentioned in terms of her coming at Joe Biden. I saw this clip of her on Stephen Colbert, right? And Stephen Colbert actually asks her a hard-hitting question pertaining to the debates. He's like, isn't it weird that before you were elected VP, you were like trashing Joe Biden in in the debates and now all of a sudden like you're working alongside him? Like, what is that? And she literally just laughed and went, she was laughing and she's like, well, it's a debate. It's a debate. Like, of course. But do you feel like that comes across as disingenuous? Or do you think that she, that's just her playing the game of debating and taking down candidates? I think it's just her playing the game. But mm-hmm. I feel like everybody ends up playing the game in yeah. the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe one day you're, enemies and then the next day your best friends um and i think kamala harris coming onto the democratic presidential ticket um it was important for her to show unity right yeah although she grilled biden a few months earlier i think if she wanted to be a successful candidate for vice president she needed to show that she worked out her differences with biden right mm-hmm. people don't want to see a presidential and a vice presidential candidate you know having two different ideologies two different ideals for the u.s um it's all about unity it's all about you know bridging the the divide that um i think the democratic ticket is trying to um, do right now it's funny that you even that you brought that point up as well because it reminded me of you know there there actually was a time that the in which the person that came second place in the presidential race would be the VP, like very early on in American history. So you That's what have... happened with Thomas Jefferson, yeah. actually, and John Adams. <laughs> That's yeah. right. It's funny. I feel like there's so much polarization between the two parties. I feel like that could never, ever happen now, obviously. Um, oh, but... God. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine like we have Hillary Clinton done. as vice president. <laughs> oh, 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 God. That's insanity Oy. right there. Yeah, that is insanity. Um, so just to kind of refer to the question that I asked you guys earlier about, you know, what's at stake here? Do you feel like the DNC 
did a good job of articulating what's at stake and articulating why we should vote for Biden or no? And why? I think the DNC, what it did most successfully was show a positive side of Biden's character. I think it really painted him as uh, somebody who you could really relate to, somebody who's really struggled, somebody who's given up a lot, and somebody who has really given his life to public service. And that's what I got from the DNC, right? Like, as much as I think Biden has, like, a ton of flaws, as much as I think Mm -hmm. Biden probably should not have been on the Democratic ticket to begin with, I think uh, what the DNC did, and I think what it partially convinced me of, was that, yes, okay, Biden has understood and gone through a lot of loss in his life. You know, he lost his wife in a uh, in an accident way back when he was a, a young senator. He lost his son, Bo, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they highlighted Bo at every single instance they possibly could, which yeah. I think after a little while was like, okay, I think they're a little bit overdoing it. But <laughs> at the same time, it, it, just a little bit, you know? <laughs> uh, but at the same Fair. time, I really, I really appreciated that they did that to show uh, a very humane side of Biden. And I think they sold that very well. In terms of, like, issues, I'm not really sure what issue the Democrats were talking about, aside from we need to stand against Trump and because Trump is fascist <laughs> and Trump is bad for America and Trump doesn't believe in science. It's all, like, anti-Trump this, anti-Trump that. That's the whole DNC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't mm-hmm. agree with Raph more, you know. I, I think back to when I was watching, I watched both the DNC and the RNC because, you know, Obviously, when you want to hold a conversation with someone, you, you want to know both sides of the story, even yeah. though you might not agree with one of them. And I think what was effective about the DNC was the fact that they led with science. And what I mean by that is that, you know, they had social distancing protocols in place, right? Something that the RNC did not do um, because, you know, the White House right now doesn't believe in the science and Dr. Fauci. Um, oh, and I think that, you know, by... Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of the people, the speakers that spoke at the DNC, I think they did show like this message and this idea of unity that we are all trying to be a part of, right? And I I think all of the criticism about, you know, this isn't like a celebrity show where, um, you know, DNC decided to uh, use celebrities as moderators each day. Um, And they Mm -hmm. got some flaming for that. But I definitely think that they brought the star power. They brought the science, they brought, you know, very poised people. I, I think they brought it all that night. And I think that it was definitely, you know, a very optimistic message that they were painting, right? From Dr. Jill Biden, you know, going back to the classroom that she once taught English in. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what's been on a lot of people's minds across the US is this idea of how are we going to get back to school? So many families, so many parents they're just wondering when is when is their child going to get back to school? And I definitely think through Dr. Jill Biden's, you know, um, speech on the third night of DNC, I definitely think she um, she kind of resonated with a lot of Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Because this has been one of the most pressuring issues um, and matters that have been on the minds of a lot of us recently. And I think because of that and because of other things that they talked about, um, the DNC was overall effective. I I agree to a certain extent with what both of you guys are saying. Um, I definitely heard the anti-Trump rhetoric loud and clear, supported it 100%. Um, And I do think that they did a great job at 
painting Joe Biden as this every man that's been through a lot in his life. It's not like he was fed from a silver spoon, you know? Um, I, here's, here's what I found myself asking a lot of the time when watching Meet the NC. Where's the policy? Because I felt like a lot of the arguments that were made, there was a lot of like ethos and pathos, right? Like a lot of emotion and heart and about doing the right thing. But I didn't. But there's find... no logos, right? There's no, no like. There's no like vision for the future there. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly. And that's yeah. kind of the part that scared that. Even though I did like the DNC, that is the part that scared me a little bit. Is that it was mm-hmm. it would relied so much on anti-Trump rhetoric and not enough on Biden's policies, right? And that's the sad part. It's just yeah. like it's there's no platform. The platform for the Democrats is there's we no are going to be Trump. And of course, I, I I hate Trump as much as the next guy, right? I think. <laughs> He is yeah. a terrible person and a terrible president. But at the same time, you can't be – your only position just can't be we don't like Trump. You have to say, okay, we're going to work on this to uh, work against climate change. We're going to do this yes. to try to increase a, a social safety net for people. We are going to do our best to federally uh, legalize marijuana, which is still contributing to the war on drugs. And there's a reason why a lot of uh, people in prisons are in prison to begin with for absolutely racist sentiments across our country. There are so many things that Joe Biden claims that he's going to help the liberal left with and that he stands in contrast to Trump, but his history just proves otherwise. (laughs) For sure. I feel like we say the same thing about Trump too, though, right? He had this whole idea to just bring down Obamacare and he was like, okay, we're going to have this new Trump care or whatever, but that really hasn't been set <laughs> in place either. So, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. I said before, it's the lesser of two evils. Lesser of two evils. No, right? 100% sure. agree with you with that. Absolutely. Both, uh, both of them yeah. don't have policy, right? And no. policy is what a lot of Americans, you know, think about, right? They don't want somebody in the White House who doesn't know what they're doing, right? If yeah. they have no plan, why elect them for the next four years? And I think that's the beauty about, mm-hmm. you know, politics is that we can change the future. We can change who's in office, but we have to do it at the right time, right? People have to decide this coming November whether they want another four years of Trump or if they want to see someone new in the office who may potentially, you know, change the trajectory of the U.S. Um, But I definitely agree with you, Hannah, that, you know, the lack of talking about policy Mm -hmm. is what gets a lot of Americans um, concerned and worried, Uh, and especially undecided voters, right? Both Biden and Trump held town halls this week, right? Mm-hmm. And they needed to resonate with a bunch of people who don't really know what to who to vote for, for sure. um, this coming November. And it's it's frustrating for me to see that it's because, you know, this idea of talk is cheap, right? They say one thing, yeah, and then once they're in office, they don't do it, right? Saying something Bureaucracy. doesn't always equate to action, and we've seen it countless times, not only in politics but also in big businesses and all of that, right? So I definitely agree with you guys. And I think that this lack of policy is definitely what gets a lot of voters frustrated. For sure. And I think it became, it, it's funny that you brought up Jill Biden's speech because a lot of people did like her speech, but I wasn't a big fan of it because, and, and granted, like she is the first lady, maybe bringing up policy wouldn't be the best idea but i feel like it's not a terrible idea for her to bring up policy especially considering that she's been with him all these years and he's been a elected official all that time so you must know what he's been advocating for at some point and maybe like bring that up in the speech so that's that's like little things that i noticed um but do you feel like the rnc let me say this with a straight face do you feel oh, that the gosh. rnc 
did a great <laughs> job in explaining what's at stake here. Can I just say one word? <laughs> sure, what's up? Kimberly Gilfoyle. Kimberly fucking Gilfoyle. The best is yet to I come. I can't believe I sat through that whole thing. We are fighting for America. <laughs> I thought I was oh, going to no. see her spit all over the screen, honestly, guys. Oh, man. Yeah. No. So, but, so do you feel like the RNC did a good job at explaining <laughs> what's at stake here to American voters? Oh, gosh. Michael, you want to take this first? <laughs> You know, there is a lot of things that I found to be very wrong and just very upsetting um, while watching the RNC. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. For sure. I didn't watch all four days, right? I tuned in the first day and then I needed like a whole day just to compose myself. I don't blame you. From all of the freaking things that yeah. they've said it just got my blood boiling, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I did my best. I did my best. I, I tuned in the third day. Um, and then I tuned in when Melania, um, you know, said her speech. And yeah. it just it blew me away, not in a positive way, though. I, I think that, you know, as much as Biden and the DNC, they did a lot of Trump bashing. Mm -hmm. I think Trump's, you know, RNC did a lot of Biden bashing as well, right? We saw people like Nikki Haley, who said America is not racist. And then I just had to, like, process that for a second she said america is not racist and then she played like the immigrant card right she said i have native american heritage in, in my um blood or whatever my parents you know they were discriminated against but you know they never showed um fear they worked hard for their things but the fact is that nikki haley can pass herself off as white she can do a lot of things um, mm -hmm. that a lot of immigrants cannot do or a lot of people, um, you know, of minority groups cannot do, right? For sure. Um, and it's just upsetting to me that I see so many people just who have been criticized by Trump stick by his side. It's, it's just so upsetting. Like this guy has said atrocious things about you mm -hmm. yet you decide to like stay with him. It, it's just... Shocking. I can't really put all of my opinions about the RNC into like one sentence or, you know, I, I could go on and on, to be honest. Um, I want to let Raf speak because I'm just trying to compose myself right now. I'm sorry, Michael. No, <laughs> no worries, Michael. No worries. Oh. <laughs> I totally get where you're coming from, though. I, I totally agree with you, Michael, that a lot of the things about the RNC either scared me or made me laugh and not in a good way. Made me laugh like that kind of laugh, like, oh, shit, like, uh, this oh. is not a good feeling right here. Mm -hmm. um, I think probably the biggest things that affected me about the RNC was uh, Trump's speech, particularly on the final night, where uh, Trump said certain things like, one, he's a law and order candidate. The very fact that most of the Republicans described themselves as a law and order candidate and contrasted that with the Marxist, socialist, I'm, I'm doing this all in quotes, uh, <laughs> Marxist, quote, socialist, quote, agenda of all of the rioters and looters who are destroying our streets of America and injecting heroin into our society. I'm not kidding. That's an actual quote from the They said RNC. the heroin part? 
that's literally i think it was nikki haley or kimberly gilboy it was one can, of them who said that i was one of them right and, i mean to me there's no difference because they essentially all say the exact same things over and over and mm-hmm. over right and do every at, at every single possible corner call joe biden someone who's a marxist sympathizer who is going to bring china into our streets china's going to take over america and then it's like this whole fear narrative right this whole thing where like um the Democrats and everybody else are somebody to be afraid of. And you, as an American, need Donald Trump in the White House who is going to fight off against that. Oh, and what has Donald Trump done for minorities? He has done more for black people than any other president in history. That's an exact quote. That's an exact quote. <laughs> oh, God, that's that's awful. Exactly. And yeah. in the exact same speech, he praises Andrew Jackson. If we have a president in the White House who praises previous presidents like Andrew Jackson, we have a massive problem, Does he- guys. I get, does he not know about the t- Trail of Tears? I mean, actually, wait. No, he oh, probably no, he knows, knows about he's, the Trail of Tears. He, he no, is he's, not he's a stupid guy aware. by any means. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> I think he's stupid, but, um, well, okay, here's the thing. So mm-hmm. I, in terms of the RNC, it, it freaked me out because, okay, two semesters ago, I took a Middle Eastern politics class, right? And I notice a lot of similarities between leaders in the MENA region and Trump in terms of the lies that they are willing to tell to their citizens. And the RNC made that more apparent for me than ever with the way that they almost completely glossed over coronavirus. The only person that really mentioned it was Melania Trump in her speech. Um, And she pretty much- Melania had the best speech probably out of everybody in the RNC. I think so too. composed, chill. Yeah. The irony is that there was no social distancing when she no, spoke. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Right Everyone in the Rose Garden, no one masked. No Shocking. one wore a mask in sight. Yeah. And I think it was terrible that some people actually did contract coronavirus at the RNC because of this, right? Oof. They're not sticking with the science. Oh, and on another note, I don't know if you guys remember, but when the whole RNC was happening, Kellyanne Conway's daughter was petitioning for emancipation. Oh, from yeah. The- that's shocking. I heard, I heard about, about that, that actually a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Kellyanne Conway, the counselor to the president, you know, her and her husband got some beef with each other, right? Oh, they're on, they're oh on boy. Yeah. The spectrum. Her daughter, Claudia, wants emancipation. It just shows you, you know, what politics can do to you, your loved ones, mm-hmm. people who work in public office. It's not easy. But your child doesn't want to be with you anymore because you guys don't politically align with each other. That's just crazy, you know? I'll admit, though, the Biden and the Trump families definitely presented a united front, both in the DNC and the RNC. They definitely pulled through for him very, very heavily. Especially... Oh, sorry. No, what were you going to say, Raf? I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was was just going to say, like, a lot of the keynote major speakers for the RNC were Trump's kids. I think, yeah, all of his adult children spoke, I believe. Yeah, every single one of them. For me, that comes off as alarming, right? It comes, it, it sounds a little bit dynastic, if that's even an adjective that I can use. Sure. But yeah. Oh, definitely. But, I mean, oh, yeah. did that, did you find that, like, how, what were your views on that? Because I personally find it quite unsettling. Nepotism. At, yeah, at nepotism, that's a better, right? that's a better way. Nepotism. Yeah. No, literally, I mean, yeah, that's a better way to put it. Like, I mean, I'm not that shocked that Trump, just like gives his kids like all the uh, important quote unquote important jobs to do in the White House. I mean, like 
if I were Donald Trump, I wouldn't trust anybody else either. <laughs> if I'm oh, being yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, no, like every other Republican who now worships him at one point talked so much trash about him while he was running. Nobody in the Republican Party wanted Donald Trump as the nominee uh-huh. or as president, but they're just happy about it now because Trump actually gives Republicans power, and they do, and they realize that. Right. But if I were Trump, I would still remember those people who still talk trash about me nonstop for months on end. And yeah, I probably, probably wouldn't trust yeah. them either. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, it, oh, wait, what were you going to say, Michael? No, it's just it's mind boggling how many mm-hmm. people still stay by Trump's side. It's it's, it's crazy. It's I bizarre. Man, it's you know, Hannah. Let, let's let's keep going. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to the Associated Press because they are slapping in the journalism game in terms of their fact checking. And I'm actually going to pull up the fact check uh, section of well, the of the DNC and the RNC that was covered by the Associated Press. Um, they put out a series of quotes, and I'm just going to read through them so we can just refresh our memories on what happened, and then. Um, yeah, we can talk about it. And this is just a reminder, too, mm-hmm. that everybody can have a varied news diet. Shout out to yes. news literacy. Class <laughs> that Volcana and I took. To all you listeners at home, be sure that you're not, you know, getting your news from just one source. Um, you got to get your news from, you know, different sources, right? Mm-hmm. And you should be fact-checking the news that you're, you're consuming every single day because, you know, something, you know, could be false, right? We see a lot of the times when you know, public officials, we see something and then the AP will fact check it and it's false. So Mm -hmm. please guys, listeners at home, just be a responsible news consumer from here on out. Just please. I I agree with Michael 1000% on that. 100%. Uh, I'm I'm also going to add in there. However, uh, you should 100% always make sure that what you are checking, what you are reading and what ultimately you are believing and basing your opinion on should always be based on a sort of fact, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to add in there that I think you should also get your news diet from both left-wing and right-wing sources. Yes. I think having a balanced news diet like that and then trying to parse out which ones are have one particular bias or another or where certain how certain news outlets covering things is really important to understand our national mm-hmm. zeitgeist, right? Like what is happening in the world, what is happening in our country and who is believing and who is propagating what. Fair yes. point. No, for mm. sure. One person I, um, this is just a more of a tangential thing, but one person that I, one conservative that I tune into from time to time is Ben Shapiro. And even though I can't Ooh. stand Ben Shapiro, he is a, a master, <laughs> he's awful. He is a master debater, right? And I always try to kind of, I at least want to have a peek at his perspective and where he's coming from. I don't agree, but no, I mean, it, like you said, it is important to get like your to have a varied news diet. So I'm actually going to start reading with reading quotes from the DNC. So Barack Obama said, we are born immigrants. That is who we are. Immigration is our origin story. Considering that Barack Obama deported nearly three million people out of the U.S. through ICE. Do you feel like that's the thing that he should have said? You wanted to hear something hilarious? Sure, what's up? So when that piece of news actually got leaked to the press, mm-hmm. Donald Trump uh, got really angry and fired who, uh, whoever it was in the White House who was responsible for leaking that because he was, he was saying that it doesn't fit with the, uh, uh, with the image. It doesn't fit with like, the profile because Trump wants to be the guy who deports people, the guy who uses ICE, who wow. militarizes. He wants to be that guy, right? Yeah. And the very fact that 
Obama has actually deported more people during his presidency more than Trump. Mm-hmm. It just angers Trump in a certain way. I just, when I heard that, I found that absolutely hilarious. <laughs> that is kind of funny. Because you, because it actually, yeah. that, that fact makes Obama look bad. It doesn't make him look great. So No, of course not. <laughs> but like, you know, it's just the polarity of, no, like, I know. of like what people say and like their ideas. No, yeah. Right. I like, I love Obama to death. Right. I, I love uh, the work of the Obamas. I think they're messages and their vision for the world is an incredible thing mm-hmm. uh dreams for my father which is uh barack obama's autobiography which he wrote and published way back in 1995 is probably for me one of the greatest pieces of literature i've ever read i heard it's amazing too. either it, it's yeah. so good i recommend it for both of you and all listeners all right. listening back home right and also becoming uh michelle obama's memoir like definitely definitely worth reading but as much as I do love them, I do also recognize that the Obamas, Barack Obama in particular, he's a politician. Mm-hmm. And as a politician, he's going to say certain things, put on certain images, and then uh, take other actions. Perfect example is what like you just displayed here, right? Obama has deported so many immigrants, even though Obama is considered to be an incredible, egalitarian, culturally diverse, respecting of all like diversity and inclusion, all that kind of president. Like, that's what we see him. That's what people paint him. But at the same time, Barack Obama is as centrist as the rest of them. He's very centrist, if you think about it. For sure. Yeah. I definitely think that the orator and kind of the personality that Barack Obama brings to, or he brought to the presidency, outweighed the baggage that ultimately he accumulated, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, statistic um, on the deportation is just frustrating to me because you know, you read in the news of all these families that have been separated because of deportation, because of ICE. Um, And, you know, I I think that like, even though he did that, we still can look back on the Obama presidency and be proud of it. I think that's what a lot of people um, think. And, you know, maybe not some people, but I definitely will say that a lot of Americans thought that Obama was a really good president. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's truly eye-shocking, right? Deportation is a sensitive subject, um, especially with, you know, the Trump presidency, whose kind of, you know, um, credo was to kind of just deport all of these immigrants to build that wall between the U.S. and Mexico. Um, I remember reading an article uh, a few months back um, because the proposed wall was supposed to have you know, electric wires and alligators, apparently, um, which is weird, you know? Supposed to be 30 feet tall, too. <laughs> it's it's insane about what, you know, Trump wanted to do with the wall and ultimately the funding that got passed by Congress mm-hmm. um, for the wall. But, you know, still to this day, we still don't have the wall that Trump wants, right? Yeah. Um, and that just comes to show you how much Trump has done during these four years in office. There's a really funny segment that you should... Uh... Uh, look at uh, John Oliver covered it. It's entirely about Trump's border wall. Uh, it's oh. very recent. I think John Oliver did it probably less than a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just talking about how much Trump talked about it, like while he was running for presidency and like what the actual wall is today. And it's nowhere near anything of like what he uh, talked about or envisioned it to be. It's just a hilarious waste of tax dollars. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, he, of course, oh, yeah. he's always made empty. He's, he definitely, I mean, he's like the king of making empty promises. But um, oh, in terms of <laughs> yeah. in terms of Barack Obama with the immigration comment, it here's the thing. We find ourselves grappling with that with 
Biden to a greater extent, but you know, it's still similar in the sense that, you know, you have this, well, Barack Obama is such like a charismatic, awesome president, or at least a lot of people see him that way. Right. And I, and to an extent, like I do as well, but I also acknowledge the faults. So I think I'm still thinking about it. It's just a lot to grapple with. Separating like the image from the action is tough sometimes. I think we got to remind ourselves that no one is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. We all have done things that uh, we we might not have been proud of. It's just that people in public office, they're in the Mm -hmm. public eye 24 seven. And so their reputation, their credibility is always on the line. Mm -hmm. But for everyday normal people like us, we can go on Twitter, we can go on Facebook, whatever social media that we use. We can post a very controversial comment or post. Um, yeah. And like the worst consequence that um, that could happen to us is we get banned, right? Mm-hmm. But for these people, people in the White House, people in the Senate or in the House, right? These people, their jobs are on the line, right? Mm-hmm. Everything from what they worked towards is on the line. Um, and so I think we also have to acknowledge that that, like I said, no one's perfect, but at the same time, do, you know, the accomplishments of one person outweigh the baggage that they have. For sure. And now I'm going to read the RNC quote. This is from Melania Trump's speech, referring to Donald Trump. He's the first president to address a special session of the United Nations General Assembly to call upon countries across the world to end religious persecution and honor the right of every person to worship as they choose. But here's the thing that is actually not true because President Barack Obama did that. He's the one that made a speech in the assembly in 2012. How does the blatant lying... Okay, you're probably not surprised by it at this point, but at a national level, how do you think it's changed the way that you view democracy in America and bureaucracy within our government? You said Melania said that? Melania said that about Donald Trump. Considering that Melania kind of plagiarized Michelle Obama's speech. Oh, that's true. I don't really, you know, you know, I can't take things for granted. I don't take things for granted on a daily basis, but like things like politics, you can't take for granted. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it it also goes back to what we were talking about with Dr. Joe Biden. Right. You know, you, the first lady is kind of like the, not the best friend, but like is the companion of the person in the white house. Right. Um, and so they should know a lot about their spouses, about their significant others. But it seems like, you know, from what Melania says, she doesn't really know a lot about Mr. Donald J. Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, I'm just at a loss for words at this point. And I actually want to hear what Raf has to say, because, you know, I'm just trying to keep my self-composure here, like always. <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, like you said, Hannah, the... Uh... The, the fact that Melania stated was just a blatant lie, right? Mm-hmm. Now, okay, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say whether she knew it was a lie or not is not the prerogative of her or Donald Trump. It's the prerogative of the image that they uh, that the administration and the party wants to create, right? Mm-hmm. It, well, the whole point of Melania speaking is not for Melania to actually show her ideals. No, they don't give a shit about that part of my French again. <laughs> what they care about oh, good. is fine. that they are presenting a united front, that they are presenting something where the Trump family, and of course the first lady of the United States, whoever that is, that person holds, whoever that person is who holds that position, uh, 
is going to say something that makes the nominee, aka her husband, look good in whatever way possible that is, right? Yeah. And what exactly that says to our democracy? It says that our democracy is less of a democracy and more so of who's uh, butting shoulders with who. Who is it who is in those right circles, who's in, who has those proper connections, and who's able to be in that room where it happens, right? And a Hamilton the reference? Very fact, I'm a lot. Yeah, just a, a little bit of a Hamilton reference right there. You had and just the fact that, you couldn't uh, help yourself. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Hamilton. <laughs> love Hamilton. That's Always great. love Hamilton. Uh, just the fact that there's like, that Melania even makes that speech to begin with. I mean, and quite frankly, I don't even think it's even her. It just speaks to how disingenuous our democracy could be sometimes. No, for sure. I agree with you guys 100%. I mean, it is inherently about pandering to voters, right? So politicians, we kind of touched on this a little bit before as well, like politicians are going to say whatever they feel will bring in more voters to like support them, right? So I think it's just one of those things. Um, Other than the blatant lying, another theme that was ever present, at least in my opinion, with the RNC is kind of the fact, well, okay, first of all, it's the fact that this is the first convention that was ever officially held in the White House, right? No press. There was no precedent for this. They never hold conventions because it's a conflict of interest, right? I mean, in that sense, like the White House, it's supposed to be like an objective. It, 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 the symbol in it and of itself is supposed to be. Law, but... It does break the law. That's true. And so there's that. And then also the fact that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, like zoomed from Jerusalem to make a speech. And, you know, no high-level officials such as the Secretary of State has ever made a speech at the RNC before at any convention like this, for that matter. So were you guys shocked by instances such as that or actions such as that? Um, Yeah, how did all that make you feel? Not in the slightest. I am not shocked by anything I see on television, what I hear coming out of a politician's mouth, Mm -hmm. any kind of scandal, any sort of thing that happens that is supposed to, you know traditionally ruin someone's career but of course it doesn't anymore because that's just how our politics works now right Mm -hmm. politics today is like uh somebody could be you know have 30 sexual assault allegations against them can have all of these things recorded on tape played over and over and over on national convention i'm talking about the woodward tapes here Mm -hmm. and still be perfectly scot-free and fine and who gives a shit because it's Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has the biggest cult following probably in American history, and it's really damaging to our democracy so many, in so many cases. Mm-hmm. Raph, you just blew me away. I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, was kinda, I think I kind of lost my train of thought, too, if I'm being honest. I was just kind of, like, going on about it. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, I, you addressed I, it perfectly. I yeah. Yeah. I think this is a really, like... I don't know. I really like this episode, Hannah, because I feel like, unlike a lot of your other episodes, I feel like we are talking about very serious things and no, we're giving sure. our unfiltered opinions about these things, right? Mm-hmm. Things that we don't normally say, right? At least my parents tell me not to talk politics outside of the house, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm talking politics to everyone who's listening at Yay! home. Yay! Um, nice. So civic so and- yeah. It's interesting. And I definitely think that, you know, this episode at least provides a forum where we offer our diverse perspectives on politics, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think our, poli- our perspectives are the most diverse in the world, <laughs> but like, well, that's you know, we, we agree on a lot of things, but we yeah, also definitely. disagree on some things, right? In regards to policy or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, it's, I think one thing is clear though, mm -hmm. is that the things that, you know, Republicans and especially Trump, like what they preach, mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's so hypocritical. It's so For controversial. Sure. It's very polarizing. And it's sad to see how like, you know, um, maybe in the early 2000s, it wasn't as this polarizing. Well, Bush had, you know, his own respective flaws, um, especially with the wars and all of that, Oy, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I just want to think, like, I think there wasn't a more peaceful time in the history of the U.S. that I can think of in our lifetimes, at least, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I think back to, like, maybe the Roaring Thirties, was that was that what it was called or I whatever? The Roaring Twenties? Roaring Twenties, yes. I'm so sorry. I'm not a history. No, no good. Worries. You're fine. Nerd, but, all um, good. It's, it's just frustrating to see how, like, we're all living through this time right now. And it doesn't seem to, you know, be getting any better. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, hopefully people wake up in a, in a few months um, and they vote for somebody. Uh, I'm not saying who because I don't want to jinx it. But um, they, they vote for somebody mm -hmm. who, you know, will, will make change in this country. Um, and... You know, I'm just Biden's not going to make any change. Sorry. No way. <laughs> he's actually, he's going to give about the perception of change, but is here, things actually going to change? No, things are going to go back to the status quo. Here's where I, here's what I actually I slightly disagree because there are the Democratic Party as a whole is getting more progressive, and in order you, for that's true. Biden to continue, in order for Biden to continue to hold power right within you know his executive position. He has to trust the progressive viewpoint to bring in voters and support, right? So I actually do feel mm -hmm. like he will lean to the left. And I think AOC said a similar thing, like in a tweet or something as well. See, here's the thing, though, right? I agree with like the second part of that point where uh, in order for uh, Biden to exert his full executive power, both the House and the Senate need to have a more progressive majority, which is that going to happen during um, Biden's potential tenure, maybe, but also maybe not. Mm -hmm. What I do agree with, though, is, of course, with the rise of AOC and Ilan Omar uh, and the likes of that, I believe that we are going to see the left shift further left over time. Mm -hmm. And people who we expect to run for office, uh, what we expect to see from our politicians is going to be more so what we uh, align with as left-leaning views. We're going to expect more of a greater safety net. We're going to expect people to focus more on climate change. We're mm -hmm. going to expect people to give a shit more, right? Yay! We, I think, <laughs> as I, in the future, are definitely going to hold our politicians more accountable for the stuff they say for and sure. for the actions that they undertake. And we're already seeing that, right? I think the, the rise of Bernie Sanders back in 2016 mm -hmm. uh, and as well as what's happened in the last few years because of him have definitely created a kind of cultural revolution uh, in American society where we want to see something better for ourselves, where we want to see something better for our country. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that all starts with, you know, these young progressives who are not only diverse, but also believe in something that's a little different. What I appreciate about AOC is that AOC always calls people out on mm -hmm. things when they don't amount to what they are expected to amount to or what, or they just don't follow their own promises. And she has done that time and time again with Joe Biden. She has, uh, exemplified when Joe Biden has acted extremely conservatively. She has exemplified when Joe Biden has said certain things he probably should not have said, and like especially some comments when he just like 
goes out speaking and you know sometimes yeah you know, she, said, she sound a bit racist you know they, they do they, <laughs> they do, they do. um yeah uh, I'm, I'm worried about joe biden i if you guys can clearly tell um but i think if anything we're going to see more democrats or not even democrats you know maybe just politicians like that over time in congress but potentially also in the white house maybe when uh a few decades from now or hell maybe even around the corner you never know I mean, I hope so. I think calling people out on their on their shit is very, very important. And I actually it's funny because I, I was going to ask you guys kind of towards the end how you felt about this whole thing. But I feel like you guys already you like naturally answered it just then. So I'm like, oh, all right. Look. <laughs> um, but I'm also worried about Biden as well. The Jill Biden speech, as much as people loved it, it didn't really restore confidence, at least for me. This election Sometimes it keeps me up at night, like not going to lie. And I cry and I cry about it yeah. once in the blue moon and I get it free. It really freaks me out. Um, I feel you. Hannah, no, 100%. For sure. <laughs> but what do you guys plan on doing to prep for November? I guess for me, I'm going to kind of be in like the city. So I'm kind of expecting um, protests and riots to resume, but to a massive scale. Right. Wow. Okay. Uh, I have a feeling uh, if, Biden loses the election or if something is contested about Biden in a particular state or somewhere, I feel like there's going to be protests no matter what. And I think we're going to have to probably prepare for another chance where people may start uh, rioting in certain instances, right? Not saying that all protesters do that because in actuality, less than uh, 0.8%, I believe, was the uh, actual statistic of protesters actually turned violent, 0.8%, right? But we have to also admit that in a city like New York, in a center like Manhattan, that is bound to happen. There's a reason that they boarded up all of their stores, right? And they still do that, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, I walk around Manhattan with my friends at night, and we just see stores still boarded up. It's like and a I ghost town. Saw, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Honestly, it's, I thought it was going to be really a ghost town. It's not as ghost towny as I, I, I anticipated it to be. Yeah. But when November comes around, I think I'm going to be following very closely with the news. I think I'm going to... Definitely send in my, my ballot early because mm -hmm. I think mailing in your ballot early is the most important thing about this election, right? Yeah. But I'm also going to be getting ready for the fact that this election is not going to be decided on election night. And the debate and the grief and the amount of uh, frustration that's going to come out of it is going to continue from weeks or potentially even months afterwards. So I'm getting ready for that. Yeah, same here. I actually have to report on this year's election for my uh, reporting and writing class, Hannah. Wow. Uh, oh, wait, do you have Professor Glenn? No, Professor oh. Glenn's not teaching He's RW1. Not? Oh, no, I have shit. to catch him. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because mm -hmm. I don't know what I want to center my report on, but it's going to be interesting, like Raph was talking about, right? Like, because of this whole pandemic, like, I don't think we're allowed to have these sort of celebratory parties for whoever ends up winning in, for the election, right? Back in 2016, a bunch of people crowded Times Square to hopefully see history be made. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way, but we can't have Yikes, those you yeah. know, gatherings anymore, right? No. Well, except for protests, because protests is, you know, one of the our rights, um, you know, when something is wrong. Uh, sure. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the next few months play out, obviously, right? November mm -hmm. is, you know, right around the corner. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised, like Raf said, um, if we start to see a lot of protests and a lot of resistance efforts 
um, come time November 3rd. So, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, and we just gotta, we just gotta see, right? The future's unpredictable, but um, we just gotta hope for the best. For sure. I, um, I didn't really think about looting in the sense that if Biden won, I wouldn't have imagined that there would be looting and rioting because I, at least in New York City, because I feel like Trump is overall is just disliked. But also that is a good point that you brought up, like stores are still boarded up and there's definitely a reason for that. And um, I agree with both of you guys in terms of like keeping an eye out like closely for what's happening in the news. I think be, and consuming a varied news diet, also super important just to kind of get a scope of everything that's going on. Um, I changed my address to register to vote because at first I, it was near Brookdale and now State. it is in Brooklyn. Hmm? Okay. Okay. I thought yeah. it was a different state no, for no, a no, second. No, 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 no. Um, so there's, oh, wow. okay. yeah, so there's that, um, I applied to be, I applied to be a poll worker. So we'll see oh what happens. Wow. Yeah. So we'll see. I, 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 I pray just for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I pray it's for like, you. <laughs> I'm not, I think it's a 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. shift, but I'm like yeah, more than happy to do it. You should probably be prepared for both pandemic reasons yes. and for potential it, it's very possible that things could get violent, Hannah. It's very possible this time around. All good. I've been, you know, I've been. You, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I have the moves. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. And so there's that. And then I'm also doing, I signed up for, to, to volunteer for this nonprofit called Turnout 2020. And they do phone banking all across the country. And you call registered voters in swing states um to and you ask if they're registered properly and you help them like and if they're not you just help them up you know apply so, so you make a bunch of calls to wisconsin and florida <laughs> yeah at, and oddly and texas and pennsylvania oh wow yeah oh yeah that makes sense pennsylvania so, too, um, sure, definitely so i just i did a training session for that and so now i'll probably start calling on tuesday and see what happens but i never really dabbled in civic engagement to be honest until this year because I feel like this election is so important and there's so much on the line that I feel like compelled to, to do these things because it's really worrisome. And I'm, you know, so I guess there's that, but, um, you go, Hannah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, usually I say w whether or not there's like a last question, but that actually was my last question. So do you guys have like any other thoughts on this like hellish political landscape? Before we like uh, wrap vote up. guys vote. everybody listening here please vote. Vote. please and, uh, vote well, i'll just leave our listeners at home with a quote okay by daniel patrick moynihan everyone is entitled to their own opinions but not their own facts mic drop i love it all right thank you michael thank you this was amazing thank you so much for being on the show this was so much fun I loved it. Thank you, yes. Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. This was awesome. This is awesome. And uh, yeah. yeah, so this is Tea for Three, where we sip the tea and spill the deets. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Yay, we did it. <laughs>